0: Chapter six of the Memoirs of a White Elephant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. The Memoirs of a White Elephant by Judith Gautier. Chapter six The Departure. The day of our departure arrived, and very early in the morning the slaves came to take my toilet. They rubbed me all over several times, with a pomade perfumed with magnolia and santal. They placed on my back a mantle of purple and gold, and upon my head a chaplet of pearls and the royal diadem. They fastened heavy gold bracelets on my legs, and on my tusks gold rings set with jewels. From each of my ears they hung down a great tail of horsehair white and silky. Arrayed thus, I was conscious of my magnificence, and longed to show myself to the people. Still, I gave a backward glance at the palace I was leaving, and sounded a few notes of farewell to the elephants who were remaining, with whom I had begun to be quite friendly. They replied by thundering outbursts of trumpeting, the noise of which followed me for a long way. All the inhabitants of Bangkok were out, as on the day of my triumphal entry. They were in holiday costumes, and were moving towards the palace of the king. There a splendid procession was formed, and began its march, preceded by one hundred musicians dressed in green and crimson. The king was seated in a howdah of gold filagre, on a colossal black elephant, a giant among elephants, on his right and on his left were the prince and princess, on mounts of more than ordinary size. The howdah of the bride was enclosed by a fringe of jewels which rendered her invisible. The prince was young and handsome, he had a charming expression which at once inspired me with confidence. I followed next after the king, conducted by my mahout, who walked on foot beside me. And after me came the mandarins, and other high functionaries, according to rank, and mounted on elephants or horses, followed by their servants, who carried behind each noble lord the teapot of honour, which in Siam is an insignia of nobility, the greater or less richness of which indicates the importance of the owner. Then came the baggage of the princess, consisting of numberless boxes of teak wood, marvellously carved. The ceremony of the marriage had already taken place, and had occupied eight days. This was the farewell of the king, the princess, and the people to their princess, whom they were escorting to the shore, when she was to depart. We stopped on the way at the richest pagoda in the city, where they worship a Buddha carved out of a single emerald, which has not its equal in the world, for it is three feet tall, and as thick as the body of a man." After this we descended by narrow streets, traversed by bridges and canals to the shores of the river, the broad and beautiful Mainam. In the distance were seen the deep blue mountains against the brilliant sky, the chain of the Hundred Peaks, the Ramor sabad the Hill of Precious Stones, and others. But the spectacle of the river, all covered with chipping bearing flags, and decorated with flowers, was incomparable. There were great junks of red and gold, with their sail of matting spread out like fans, their masts carrying pennants, and their prows rounded and made to imitate the head of a gigantic fish with googly eyes, all sorts of boats, sampans and rafts, supporting tents of silk, which looked like floating summer-houses, all laden to the water's edge, with a gay and noisy crowd, and with bands of music and singers, who played and sang by turns." Salvos of artillery, louder than thunder, burst forth when the king appeared, and the people gave such a deafening shout, that I should have died of fright, had I not learned by this time to permit nothing to startle me. The vessel which was to convey us to India lay at the wharf with steam up, and splendidly decorated. It was here we were to part. The king and the bride and groom descended from their elephants, the mandarins formed a circle, and all the people kept silence. Then the king, sacred master of heads, sacred master of lives, possessor of everything, lord of the white elephants, infallible and all-powerful, made a speech, while chewing betel, which stained his mouth crimson, and obliged him to spit frequently into a silver basin, which was held by a slave. The prince, kneeling before his royal father-in-law, also made a speech, less long, chewing nothing, "'The bride wept behind her veils. "'When it was time to embark, "'there was some confusion on account of the princess's innumerable boxes of teak wood, "'and because of the horses, whom my presence terrified greatly. "'A long whistle was heard, the musicians played, the cannon boomed, "'a swaying movement made me feel dizzy, and the shore receded. "'All the boats followed us at first, with oars and sails, but were soon left behind.' The king stood on the wharf as long as he could see us. I was deeply moved at leaving this city, where I had at first suffered so severely, but where my existence afterwards had been so happy and glorious. My mahout leaning against me, we both looked back. At a turn of the river, all disappeared, our eyes met, and both were full of tears. King Magnamius, said he after a moment of silence. Let us wait before we either weep or rejoice. Let us see what fate has in store for us. Soon the river grew so broad that the banks could no longer be seen. The water began to move in a singular manner, and the ship also, causing me most unpleasant sensations. Little by little we put out to sea. Then it was horrible. My head spun round, my legs failed me, an atrocious misery twisted me in the stomach. I was shamefully sick, and thought a thousand times that I was dying. I can, therefore, say nothing of this voyage, which is the most distressing memory of my life. Never, never would I go again to sea, except it might be to serve her, but for any other reason I would massacre whoever should compel me to put foot on a boat. End of chapter 6